Luke 23, 26 through 56. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandments. Everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so glad that you are here. Uh, welcome those of you at our East service here in the West service. Uh, every week now, somebody comes up to me and they say, this is our first time back in a year. And it is so great to have you all coming back. Uh, if you are still watching online, next week is Easter. 
That would be a great time for you to come back. And if you're not ready yet, I get that, and that's okay. We will try to have as good an online experience as we can for you, but let me just give you this suggestion. Uh, invite someone over. Have a watch party. Uh, watch it with somebody that you feel safe with because no one should worship on Easter alone. All right? All right, we are in this series called Come and See. And we are looking at the final 10 scenes of Jesus' life according to the Gospel of Luke. And we're calling it Come and See because we believe, I believe, that if I can get anyone close enough to really see Jesus, really look at him, it'll be enough. He will be irresistible. You will fall in love with Jesus. In John chapter 2, a man named Philip comes into contact with Jesus. And he runs to find his friend Nathaniel, and he says, I have found the one we have all been looking for. And Nathaniel's a skeptic. And Philip, instead of arguing with Nathaniel, he says simply, Come and see. Come and see. And Nathaniel does, and that is enough. And everything goes from there. So that's our goal for this series, is that you would come and see all of us, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, that you will get closer to Jesus through this series so that you will be, find him irresistible. And now we come to this part of the story, and I love having Scripture read the way it's read now to us. But we come now to what seems like the end of the story, where Jesus is crucified and he dies. But, of course, this is just week six we still have weeks 7, 8, 9, and 10. And this is one of the most wonderful things about our faith, is that what seems like the end is never the end. The best is yet to come. And that's true of Jesus and his story. And because of Jesus, it is true of you if you are a follower of Jesus. And for some of you, that's what you needed to hear more than anything else this morning is that what you are going through right now is not the end. The best is yet to come. Always, always. All right? All right, in this particular scene, uh, there are a lot of people that are listed out. A lot of detail, a lot of wrinkles. And I say this every year, right about this time, that if you are here and you are uh, not yet a Christian, you are watching this, you're not a Christian. Uh, first, I'm thrilled that you're here. You are in the right place. I want you to be here. Uh, but you really only have two options as we read this story of Jesus, particularly this part of the story in his death and resurrection. Uh, and these are your two options. Either it's true or someone made it up. It's either true or someone made it up. Those are the only two options. And what I always encourage people to do as we're going through this story is ask yourself, if I was going to make up this story any way I wanted to make it up, is this the way I would make it up? If I were going to create a story, this incredible story about a man named Jesus who claimed to be the Son of God, is this the way I would say it? And I don't think it is. Because for one thing, there are way too many details here. Let me just go through the characters in this part of the story. First, we have Simon of Cyrene. Uh, that's right at the very first verse that was read. Uh, what happened in the Roman times when uh, someone would be crucified, they would give him the crossbar to carry to the place of execution. Evidently, Jesus was too exhausted, had lost too much blood through the scourging, and he couldn't do it. So they grab a person who's passing by, 
and they give him the crossbar to carry for Jesus. Okay, fair enough. But Luke names him, and he tells us where he's from. And when I say that, what I mean is that when you name someone, you tell us where he's from, that means that can be verified. His name's Simon, and he's from Cyrene. And then in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark actually gives us more information about Simon of Cyrene. It says this, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Mark names his sons, Alexander and Rufus, and then he just leaves it there. He doesn't give us the backstory. Like if you're making that up, you'd have to tell me why Alexander and Rufus are important. But every commentator says the same thing about this. And that's that the only reason that Mark would mention Alexander and Rufus is that he thought his readers, the people he was writing this for, knew him, that they were well known which means that Alexander and Rufus were almost undoubtedly Christians. And of course, that makes sense because imagine if you were Simon of Cyrene, you'd be telling this story for the rest of your life. You'd be saying, I was just minding my own business coming in from the country. And then they, they grabbed me and they made me carry this crossbar for a man named Jesus. And I watched him. I watched him forgive the people who were doing this to him. I watched as the sky got darker and darker. When he finally arched his back and he died, I felt the earth shake under my feet. And he would tell that story over and over again. And Alexander and Rufus heard that story. They became followers of Jesus. And then there's this group called the Daughters of Jerusalem. Uh, and when, when Jesus was taken to the cross, he was taken through the streets. And there's evidently this group of women that were weeping for Jesus and what was happening to Jesus, which was very kind. It was obvious that they cared for Jesus a lot. And Jesus has this very strange interchange with them, which I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. A uh, little side note. This is interesting. Uh, in all four Gospels, there's not a single place in any of the Gospels where there's a woman who's hostile towards Jesus. There's not a single woman who's hostile towards Jesus, it's always men. Men are always the problem, all right? So I'm told. All right. Anyway, so that's uh, the, way, the daughters of Jerusalem. And then you have uh, two criminals, right, who are uh, crucified on his right and on his left. Both of them speak. Both of them speak to Jesus. And of course, if I was making up the story, I wouldn't have had other people crucified with Jesus. I would have just had the spotlight on Jesus. And then there, there's the centurion, who is the the Roman soldier who's in charge of the, uh, the execution detail. Then there's Joseph of Arimathea, who is a wealthy man who belongs to the Jewish ruling council, who happens to have an, an empty family tomb that he donates to the cause. And then, of course, you have Jesus. You know, in the, the four Gospels, uh, there are seven times that Jesus speaks when he's on the cross. Called, it's just called simply the seven sayings of Jesus. And here in this account in Luke, we have three of his sayings. He says, first, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He says, truly you will be with me in paradise. And then he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's amazing. Um, there is just so much here. And, and listen, this is what I want to ask you to do. Like this week, as you prepare for Easter, take 
the prayer guide, that Luke prayer guide that we have for you. And reread this passage all week and just ask God to show you more and more of the depth that is in this particular passage. Because I've, I've studied this most of my adult life and every time I look at it, I, I find something new. But because we are limited in time, I'm going to choose three things. No big surprise, right? Three things. The reason I always choose three things is that's the most that I can remember. And I'm assuming that's the most you can remember. I'm going to make this really simple. Here are my three things. Two ways to miss Jesus, one way to find him. Two ways to miss Jesus, one way to find him. First way to miss Jesus, let's talk about the daughters of Jerusalem. When the Romans executed someone, uh, like they were executing Jesus, they would take them the long way, a very circuitous route, to get to the place of execution. And they would do that to get the biggest bang for their buck. They wanted this to be a deterrent for other people. So that's why there was a placard, by the way, that described the crime. Like for Jesus, it was, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. And what they're doing as they're taking Jesus through the streets is they're giving a message to everybody. If you make yourself a rival to Caesar, this is what will happen to you. Don't do this. All right. And along that route, there are these women who are weeping for Jesus. And so Jesus calls them the daughters of Jerusalem, which is a a term of respect and affection. So here are some women that love Jesus and that Jesus loves. But what he says to them is so weird. And whenever I I read, this is what I read the Bible for. I read the Bible to find stuff that's weird. Because when I find it, I'm thinking, that's got to be important because it just doesn't, he doesn't respond the way I would respond. Like if I was Jesus and I was going to my crucifixion, I finally found some people that really loved me, cared for me. I would just be going, thank you. It's so so good for, I've just been beaten. I'm going to the cross. Thanks for loving me. It's not what he says. I hope you got it. It's what he says. He says to them, "Uh, don't weep for me. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for yourselves because it's coming. Judgment is coming. And then he quotes uh, from the prophet Hosea, which is all about the, the judgment of God, the holiness of God coming down in such a way that people say, if there are mountains, I wish they would fall on me. I wish I could hide myself under a hill. That's what Jesus says to these women. And the thing that strikes me so strange, it's not that he says it, it's who he says it to. Because if he said it to the Romans while they were crucified, while they're nailing his hands to the cross, that would make sense to me. Because that's like a good movie, right? The hero is being nailed. And he's looking at these guys going, oh, you just wait, right? God's going to bury you. He's going to bury you. You will cry out for the mountains to fall on you. That's, that would make sense. But these are really nice women. So why? This is one of the ways that people miss Jesus. Um, a lot of people will say, you know what, I don't, um, I don't like a God who sends people to hell. I don't like a God of judgment. Uh, my God is a God of love. And when you do that, you, you miss Jesus if you sanitize him. If you, if you separate him from judgment, from hell, from this terrible storm. Uh, and the way, what you do, and, and if, somebody, if you sanitize Jesus and you take away judgment and hell, what you do is you make Jesus into Gandhi. And a lot of people do that. I mean, Gandhi, 
great teacher, very kind, very loving, uh, you know, wonderful, amazing man, right? But he never talked about hell. He never said, if you do not believe in me, you will never find your way to God. He doesn't say, if you, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. Jesus says all of that over and over again because Jesus doesn't claim to be an example for you. Jesus claims to be a savior for you. And those are two different things. What Jesus is telling these daughters of Jerusalem who love him, he's saying, don't weep for me. This isn't, this isn't a senseless tragedy. Listen, judgment is coming for you. A storm that will, of God's righteousness that will make you beg for the mountains to bury you. And unless I go to the cross, you will have no shelter for that storm. If you, to the extent that you understand hell and judgment is the extent that you understand the cross. And even more than that, to the extent you understand why Jesus was going to the cross is the extent that you, that you will really believe he loves you. All right, let me, let me take a shot at explaining that. Because so many people, and I'm one of them, I'm, I'm just like you are. But so many people go through a difficult time in their life and they end up thinking, you know what, I just don't know if God loves me. Because, you know, if he loved me, this wouldn't be happening. And I mean, you, everybody thinks that from time to time. And the, the reason we do that is because we have forgotten about the judgment. We've forgotten what Jesus has done. Uh, when, and I'm, this is a story I've told before. I've probably told it too many times, but I couldn't think of a better one. So when I was dating my wife, Karen, uh, we were uh, on campus. We lived on dorms that were uh, directly across campus from each other. And in between our two dorms was an open field that we just called the tundra uh, in the winter because the wind blew through it. And it was winter, and some of you are thinking, not the ice cream story again. And yes, the ice cream story is coming. But what happened is I, I found out that uh, she was sick, and so I went down uh, to the student union, and I bought a couple scoops of ice cream. And I didn't have a car, so I started to walk across the tundra. It happened to be a winter storm, uh, sleet and everything. By the time I got to her dorm, I was just covered with ice and sleet. And those were back in the days where uh, I would, you ring somebody and they come down and she, she came down to the lobby. And I pulled out from my, underneath my coat the ice cream and I handed it to her. And when I did, I, she looked me in the eyes. And when she looked in my eyes, I was thinking, holy cow. I just knocked this one out of the park, right? Because I could tell. You know why? Because what she, when she looked at me, what she thought is this. If he is willing to do this for me, he must love me. Do you see, every time we hold communion in our hands, we ought to remind ourselves that the judgment of God was coming that the storm was coming, a storm that would be so fierce in the holiness of God that we would beg for mountains to bury us, but for Jesus. And we say to Jesus, we look in his eyes and we say, if you would do that for me, you must love me. The first way that people miss Jesus is they make him into a really nice guy. 
They make him into a good teacher. They try to sanitize him and take judgment and hell away from him. And Jesus would never separate himself from judgment and hell because that's what made the cross necessary. And that's what proves his love for you. Okay, so that's the first way to miss him. Second way to miss him is the the first criminal. You know, there were two criminals, one on his right, one on his left. They both talked to him. The first criminal I'm going to call the bargainer, the bargainer. The people who were walking around the cross at the time, they were saying some stuff to Jesus. They were saying, listen, if you are who you say you are, prove it. Prove it by doing what we want you to do, and then we'll believe in you, right? And this bargainer, he does the same thing. He just adds kind of a person. He makes it personal because he turns to Jesus and he says, you want people to believe in you? You want me to believe in you? Then come down off the cross, bring me with you, and then I'll believe. And what he's kind of saying to Jesus is we could help each other. You want people to believe in you. I want off the cross. You do this for me, and I'll then follow you. But of course, you know, it made perfect sense in this bargainer's mind because he couldn't imagine anything worse than being on the cross, and it just seemed obvious that the best thing would be for both of them to be taken off the cross. But he could not have been more wrong. Right? I mean, because what he's saying to Jesus is this. Jesus, forget about forgiveness. Forget about redemption. Forget about eternity. Forget about the holiness of God, the storm that's coming, anything like that. Just forget all about that. Instead, give me 30 more years here. You take 30 more years here and and that'd be great. He didn't know. He didn't know. But he thought he did. And almost all of us do that from time to time with God. Where we say to God, listen, if you really, really love me, you would do this for me. And it'd be something that seems like it's obvious. This person is dying. I love them. If I were God, I would do this. Do this for me and I'll believe in you. If you don't do it, I don't know what to believe. Have you felt that? I remember watching an interview with Ted Turner, the television mogul. And he uh, believed in Jesus until his 16-year-old sister died of leukemia. And he decided there was no God because God didn't do what Ted Turner wanted him to do. But we never know what the best thing is. If Hollywood teaches us anything through time travel movies, it's that we never know what is best. Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future goes into the past to just make a couple of tweaks And he ends up almost exterminating his entire family. You never know what is best. Jesus doesn't turn to the bargainer at all. He doesn't talk to him. Because it sets up a paradigm that's not going to work. Because what this man is saying is this. Listen, I know what's best for me. I'll tell you what. Let me be God and you be my servant here And then when you do what I want you to do, then you can be God and I'll be your servant. And Jesus knows we will never, we will never give up God once we become God. That Jesus says, no, one, you have to trust me. You do not know what is best. If I'm God, I'm going to be God here and I'm going to be God there. The second way people miss Jesus is that we end up thinking we know how our lives are supposed to be. And then we try to make a deal with him. Listen, I'll believe in you if you do what I want you to do, if you let me be in charge even this one time. And it never works like that. 
One, because we never know. And two, we're just one more crisis away from trying to switch it again and saying, don't forget, I'm in charge and you're my servant. The most amazing thing, though, is that uh, Jesus allows, because a lot of us have done that. Some of you are doing that right now with God. Jesus allows us even to get to the third spot, which is the only way to find him. And that brings me to the, the other criminal. Because the other criminal who is uh, crucified with Jesus is who I call the, the honest hoper. The honest hoper. This is the way he's described in Luke. It says, uh, but the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When I say he's honest, uh, what's interesting, and we don't know how much he knows about Jesus, but he uh, believes that Jesus is innocent. But when I say that he's honest, he's honest about himself. He says, I deserve what I'm getting. That's very rare. That's very rare. It shouldn't be, but it's rare. Uh, I've watched Dateline. You probably have too. But I remember watching a Dateline where this guy was, uh, had done a lot of really bad stuff, including killing people. And at one point he says, I'm not a bad person, right? And when he said it, I yelled at the TV. I was going, of course you're a bad person. You're exactly what we mean when we talk about bad people, right? And then I look in the mirror and I'll say, I'm not a bad person. And I think God must shout in the same kind of incredulity, of course you're a bad person. You're exactly what I think of when I think of a bad person. You see, we don't usually ever get to the idea where we can be really honest with ourselves and say, this is what I deserve. But this guy does. This guy says, I am dying a gruesome death. He, and he says, I'm getting exactly what I deserve, which means that he doesn't go to Jesus and say, Jesus, listen, you should know. I was just the driver. I didn't pull the trigger. This guy pulled the trigger. He doesn't try to soften it. He just says, I'm getting exactly what I deserve. But then he says this. This is why I call him the hoper. Because he's honest about himself. Then he says, but Jesus, remember me anyway. That is so audacious. He's saying, I am absolutely deserving of what I'm getting right now. But Jesus, remember me anyway. And Jesus responds to this guy. And he doesn't say to him, hey, that's a little too little too late. He doesn't say, I want you to grovel. I want you to change. And Jesus is just aggressive with his grace, more aggressive with forgiveness than anyone I know. And Jesus says, when this guy says, this is what I deserve, but remember me anyway, Jesus turns to him and says, done. Done. This guy says, listen, I don't want you to save my skin. I want you to save me. I just want to be with you. And Jesus says, you will be with me starting today and forever. Okay, so this is my question. Which one are you? Which one do you want to be? I, I, <laughs> I find myself flowing between these three, right? And I, in my uh, quiet time during a week when I'm preaching, uh, my sermon is my major topic where I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to talk with God about it and stuff. And I, I was writing this week and just saying first, Jesus, please forgive me. 
I don't think about judgment nearly. I never think about hell. I don't think about the storm that you saved me from. And, and I wonder why I don't love you more. I wonder why I doubt your love. Forgive me. If it were not for you, I would cry out at the possibility of coming before a holy God. I would cry out for mountains to bury me. But you. And I spent time trying to look in his face and saying, if you would do that for me, it means you really do love me. And then there are times where I've bargained with, with God, where I've said, oh, listen, I see what is obvious. Please do this. This is the way I'll know who you are and that you're a good God. Maybe you're like that. But then I ended up, the last one, just saying, Jesus, make me like this third guy. Make me honest. You know more about me than anyone that ever knows. You know more about, you know me better than I know myself. You know I am not a good person, but remember me anyway. And Jesus said to me, done. Done. He can do that for you. For some of you, he's already done that. That's great. That's great. Go deeper. See his face. As we take communion, see his face and tell yourself, if he did that for me, he must love me and fall more deeply in love with him. For some of you, you're thinking, I want to be that guy. If you want to go all in with Jesus, now's the time. If you are not yet a Christian, what I've tried to do is bring you close enough to come and see. And if you say to Jesus, remember me anyway, Jesus says, done. And if that's you, then this is your day. All right? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, I come to you and I'm so, so grateful. I love uh, reading this, studying this, going over and over because there's, every time there's a new jewel that I see, a new facet of beauty. Um, and I love that you are the one person that I can be absolutely honest with and say, this is who I am. And you are the only one who knows me to my depth. And you have every reason to reject me. But instead, would you remember me? And you say to me, absolutely. I pray that every person here will experience that in such a way that we will be transformed in every area of our lives because your love has the power to do that. So I pray that you will. Thanks. And help us to look forward to next week when we celebrate your resurrection and your power. We pray this in your name. Amen.